Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of O365A. Um, tonight, we're going to cover the exciting topic of Microsoft 365 Throttling. And uh, joining us as a special guest is longtime Microsoft MVP and Senior Director of Product Management at Keep It, uh, Paul Robichaud. So welcome, Paul. Great to have Thanks. you on the show. I'm, I'm really um, glad to be here. You guys may not know this, but I'm uh, originally of Canadian descent. My ancestors uh, came to Nova Scotia from France and then were kicked out by the British later, which is how they got to Louisiana. So, Wow. Well, having just been in Quebec City and reviewing the battles of the Plains of Abraham and that whole uh, France-British battle, that's, uh, <laughs> that's close close in my memory. So I did not know that. Good, good stuff. All right, Paul, well, I'll just turn it over uh, if you want to do a quick introduction to uh, what you're doing these days and what throttling is and why it matters. Yeah, so thanks again for having me, guys. I'm really glad to be here. I'm the Senior Director of Product Management for Keep It. Uh, we make backup software for Microsoft 365, Dynamics 365. We back up Power BI, Salesforce, pretty much all the major SaaS workloads. And um, in that role, I get a lot of exposure to throttling because, of course, we use the same APIs that everybody else uses to get data out of Microsoft 365. And Microsoft throttles those things, good Lord, within an inch of our lives. Um, so we see, you know, pretty much every combination of bad throttling behavior that uh, that Microsoft exposes people to. And so my session at, at the experts conference this year focused on throttling, and you guys have generously, you know, given me another platform to talk a little bit about what throttling is and um, how to avoid it or how to work around it. When we talk about throttling, normally the term that we use, we'll edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about throttling, normally what that means to people is I have an application that's running and the service that it's running against slows it down. Many of you that have worked with Exchange, you know, over the, the years are familiar with Exchange tar pitting, which is Exchange throttling connections that it thinks come from a spammer. Well, this is the same thing in reverse, except Microsoft thinks you're the spammer. So when they're throttling your workload, uh, it's because they think you're doing something that is going to or has consumed more than your fair share of their system resources. And that's really tricky, right? Because what you think a fair share is and what Microsoft thinks a fair share are it can be completely different. There are a lot of factors that play into that, like what you're doing, um, what workloads you're using, what APIs you're using, what region you're in. A lot of people don't think about that, but there are certainly services like Teams that have got components that come from multiple regions. And so even though you may be and your mailboxes or resources may be primarily in one region, you might be depending on and consuming services that live someplace else. So all these factors play in together. Um, the good news is that for most customers, most of the time, they won't see throttling in everyday use. But there are a couple of circumstances where they're almost guaranteed to see it, and these are the ones that, that worry people. One is backup. One's migration. Both of those are time-sensitive. Both of them are business-critical in a lot of ways. And so it's those are pretty much the two worst places that you, you know could ever hope to see throttling. It's way worse than having to wait an extra half second for an OWA page to load. Or you know, having your OneDrive sync take six seconds longer. Yeah, that's a good good point, Paul. Because if there's any sort of end users watching this podcast, they may think throttling never affects me. Why does it really matter? Um, 
you'll, you'll notice it as an end user user if you're being migrated and your your mailbox is offline for two or three days because of throttling. Definitely. Um, you'll, yeah, you'll. Yeah, you know, another thing I've I've experienced too uh, outside of backup and migration. Also, just as a, an IT admin, sometimes on the PowerShell side, we're trying to do things at scale, we're throttled. Um, there's a couple different throttling uh, mechanisms in play there per tenant, per credential. Um, so that, that also affects the IT admin crowd too. Yeah, that's a good point. Almost anything that you might want to do at scale using PowerShell, using Graph, using CSOM, using EWS, any of those APIs can be throttled. It's tempting to say at any time. Um, and I think that's fair. Because at any given time, depending on what else is going on in the system, you might get throttled or you might not. It's a little bit of a, a losing lottery, but um, it's a fact of life. It's something we all have to deal with in the service. And so with your, your role of keep it, what are the kind of most throttled Microsoft 365 workloads that you're, you're seeing? Man, that's a good question. Most throttled workload, hands down, seven days a week is SharePoint. <laughs> right. And so what's interesting to me about that, when you think about throttling, it's not just Microsoft being mean. I mean, no. it's fun to pretend, <laughs> but throttling is the flip side of the service level that they're trying to provide where they have targets where they want 99% or 99.9% of operations to complete within a certain amount of time. And so to make that happen, they can do the math and look at their performance models to tell them how much capacity they have to have. It turns out for better or worse, there's just a lot of SharePoint operations that are computationally or you know, from an I.O. perspective, they're just more expensive, right? If you think about the work it takes to render or to read all 5,000 items from a SharePoint list, for example, that just takes more horsepower than you know, listing 10 files in a OneDrive folder somewhere. And so the more it costs Microsoft to provide this, the bigger the database queries they have to have or the more disk IOPS that are required to do a thing, the more likely it is that thing is going to get you throttled. And SharePoint just has more of that uh, for various reasons than the other workloads do. Yeah, and, I, and, and even just like maybe bad reports that are written where it queries everything to get a little bit of data to actually report on, especially if you're looking at like all files and all sites and then trying to find yeah. the largest files of a specific type, like that could be pretty intensive to just scan. That's, uh, that's a really good point. You see that, you know, when Curtis mentioned PowerShell earlier, that's one of the things that separates beginner PowerShell scripting from more advanced. You know, your first naive PowerShell Efforts are going to be, hey, I'm going to do get mailbox splat, result size unlimited. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's the thing you can do. Um, nobody's going to stop you. It's just not going to work very well in larger tenants because you're going to get throttled. And so as you progress and work in more different environments where you, you know, get performance constraints handed to you by Microsoft, you learn to use paging and to be uh, – I don't want to put it more judicious about what property sets you ask for and so on. And the same thing is true with SharePoint or really with anything, um, anything, any kind of query that you might construct using graph, you can do it the lazy way and just ask for the default properties with as many results as you can get and get throttled. Or you can be a little smarter and only ask for the things you need with a more reasonable page size or a query and be less likely to get throttled. 
filtering down to the data that you actually want to report on versus grab everything and then try and filter it down. Yeah, the, the old the old scheme of grab everything and throw away what you don't want, uh, that's fine if you want to do that on-prem, right? They're your CPUs. You can burn them as much as you want, but Microsoft doesn't appreciate that, and they, they're not having it. Yeah, Michael, it's just like, uh, sorry, I just want to add on that. Just remember the big voice project that you and I did. We had we had a script that would like iterate through like you know get the users and then you know po you know populate the parameters and the you know the uh, the variables and stuff like that. We thought we were being smart by having it run through like a, a function and stuff like that, and we just got throttled like completely down. And then Michael was like, "Well, okay, we're not doing that." So then we basically end up just doing like straight command line, individual command line for each individual user, and it was like bang, bang, bang. But as soon as we tried to put any type of logic inside it, it was <laughs> yeah. like, forget it. Yeah, dynamic lookups on a per command or uh, script-wise, it was yeah, throttling. So maybe uh, you were mentioning a bunch of APIs earlier. What is the most throttled API that you're you're seeing? And it, I, I'm guessing it's probably on the SharePoint side, but so. That's a little harder to say. I feel like, and we have some some data that seems to show, you are more likely to get throttled making CSOM calls, but because you can now, thanks to the work that the graph team teams across Microsoft have been doing, you don't need to use CSOM that much anymore, right? Um, any product and many scripts that are doing anything serious are going to use a mix of old and new APIs, right? I mean, we all wish... And I'm sure you've run across this with the Skype to Teams transition. We all wish that the old APIs had been completely replaced with things that have full parity. Yeah. But that's not a thing, right? That has not happened. Um, and so in the same way that, you know, we have uh, legacy technology in so many <laughs> other places, there's still things you need CSOM to get or you need PowerShell to get. So CSOM strikes me as the thing that is most likely to get uh, our workloads throttled. Graph is interesting because you only get a set allocation of graph uh, calls per tenant per time. And it seems that although Microsoft has documented those limits, sometimes those limits are enforced more rigorously than others. And there seem to be some cases where certain things you do in graph don't, or certain APIs, endpoints within graph, don't get counted against that budget. But other things do. So, for example, if you do a whole bunch of get message, calls to get Teams chat data, you are going to get throttled until hell won't have it. And they absolutely enforce that limit. Uh, if you want to get team objects themselves, that doesn't seem to be throttled nearly as hard. Well, that must mean, like, if, if you're looking at different APIs where there's there's some gaps from legacy and new, I guess that means that you have to handle the throttling a little bit differently depending on the, the API that you're calling. So are you getting, like, an error back from Microsoft? Is it saying to, like, pause and wait? Or what, what, what happens when you get throttled? So it's a mix of things. The analogy that I like to use is, and this resonates with anybody who's had one, if you've ever been around a toddler who keeps asking for something, Microsoft's default behavior is if you ask too often, they send back a header that says uh, retry after. Don't ask again until this much time has passed. That's a pretty standard behavior. The IETF standardized on that. So Microsoft will return an HTTP 429 um, with a retry after header that tells you how long you have to wait before you can ask again for more ice cream or a trip to the zoo or whatever. <laughs> IETF's got a draft standard for a... Um, 
a different header for rate limiting. And this is really interesting because Microsoft says, first of all, they're experimenting with it. It's not implemented everywhere. They're not committing to implement it everywhere, but where it is present, if you see that rate limiting header, what that tells you is what percentage of your throttled allocation you've used. So it might tell you, for example, you're allowed to make 126 requests per second, and right now you're making 117. So if you write your application intelligently, you can surf right up to the very limit of what's going to get you throttled and stay just below it, which is what Microsoft wants, right? I mean, they don't want you, they don't want your application to get throttled. They're just doing it as a protective measure for the service. So those are really the two biggest control mechanisms. The service will sometimes just arbitrarily quit talking to you if you're being abusive is a strong word. You know, you can imagine if you try to send a million messages to one mailbox using graph in a very short period of time, um, what's going to happen in effect, the first couple of retry afters are going to get longer and longer. And then at some point, the service is just going to start giving you uh, other four series errors to tell you, shut up. I'm tired of talking to you. Uh, come back much, much, much later. Yeah, and just for the record, uh, based on my experience, the response header uh, does not work for toddlers. They'll just keep coming yeah, back and again. Yeah, it, it totally does. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, I guess uh, with that, I mean, that's a good segue for me. Um, I don't like to say best practices. What are some good practices that organizations can help, um, you know, minimize the impact on their business, right? Well, I'm tempted to say like a doctor. You know, when you hold your arm a certain way, and says, Doc, my arm hurts when I do this. You know, the joke is, don't do that. Um, migration and backup are the two things that are most likely to get you throttled. So first, better practice. Don't do those together. I see that all the time with customers. And th their impulse is, I'm doing a migration from on-prem to the cloud. And that's important. I need to do that. I want my cloud data protected from day one, so I'm going to back it up. That's also important. As a backup vendor, I strongly encourage that. But don't do them at the same time, right? Because what you see is fascinating. If you look at the patterns of activity, when is the migration tool going to want to go full throttle? Outside of business hours when nobody's changing the data that's being migrated. When does the backup tool want to work? Ideally, during non-business hours when nobody's working. So those two tools are just going to smash into each other, which means they both get throttled and both processes stretch way out longer than they need to. So if you're going to migrate, migrate. If you're going to back up, back up. Try not to mix the two. Um, if you were doing any kind of scripting or line of business, scraping, data export, anything like that, again, try not to do that concurrently with these other high volume operations. And to go back to what we talked about earlier, when you do those things, make sure that you're you know, following reasonable PowerShell or graph uh, practices about the size of each request, how many requests you make concurrently, how you spread those requests over your tenant estate, and so on. Does it um, does it matter? You know, like day of week or time of day when you perform an action, right? So if I'm in you know North America and I'm you know doing a migration. Should I be doing it like in the evenings over weekends, or does it not really matter when I'm doing those kind of actions or functions? So for migrations, yeah, it, we do tend to see better migration performance during non-working hours in region. So if you're in North America, for example, you probably want to do most of your migration scheduling if you can um, 
from say 7 p.m to 6 a.m or thereabouts and with higher concurrency or more you know bigger limits on the weekends holidays that kind of thing one of the problems you run into though is even though microsoft has done a lot of work to regionalize the service you may still have out of region resources or out of region traffic when you don't expect it this is especially true if you have a bigger more complicated organization if you're doing multi-geo um, if you're doing stuff with teams because teams is still kind of flung all over the place and so it can be a little deceptive it's tempting to say oh yeah i'm sure all my users are in north america uh, except you know are you ever really sure in that scenario when you're talking about like the time of day to to do these migrations are you then competing with other organizations using that same window like would it oh, almost yeah. be beneficial to do the opposite of what someone might be doing <laughs> like a monday morning versus a friday <laughs> evening i mean maybe yeah because when you think of all the different layers of throttling that you may run into you you might be less likely to get service level throttling if you do that but then again the service level throttling is intended to protect the whole of the service from the aggregate load posed by everybody who's using it so if you think about what happens monday morning 8 a.m. in your local time zone, whatever that is, what do people do? They rock into the office, they open up their Teams client, they open up Outlook, load on the service goes up, right? They plug in the laptop that's been turned off and disconnected all weekend, OneDrive syncs, load on the service goes up. Um, so I think as a rule of thumb, I would probably say maybe a Tuesday or Wednesday midday would be safer than first thing in the morning on Monday or last thing in the afternoon on Friday, you know, when you see those activity spikes. But there, man, I, I wish I could give you a general safe harbor, um, but they're just in one, right? Microsoft is always busy all the time. Yeah, I don't think many people are closing their laptops for the weekend anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it, I was hoping to normalize that practice and get back to it, but apparently yeah. you're not going to. Yes, there's no one that does that around Let's here. do it. Yeah. Yeah, right. It, it's it's funny because this reminds me of, you know, not that long ago when we were doing a lot of um, Skype for Business to Teams migrations. And guess when everybody does their migrations? They you know Friday, Friday, six p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or in that in that zone. So I'll be, you know, so the testing you've done and you know, just to see what kind of limits you could hit, all of a sudden just go out the window because you're trying to move you know thousands of users every Friday nights. But so are so are tens of thousands of other organizations. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's it's sort of the same thing, but, you know, and, and, and anecdotally speaking, you know, the number of IT admins and enterprises that we're talking to seem to be raising this issue of throttling more frequently now. So um, we talked about, you know, what good practices organizations um, can implement, but what what is Microsoft doing about this, if anything, like what are how are they trying to address this issue? Uh, they're telling people to keep calm and have a stiff upper lip in a lot of cases and saying throttling is a fact of life in the service, which it is. It's not a really helpful response, but it's, it's not untrue. Um, they're also doing a fair amount of work to try to shift people over to consumption-based APIs. Obvious example being the Teams export API, but there are other ones in the pipe. And... Um, I really, I, I have strongly mixed feelings about those. So on the one hand, if paying for a consumption-based API guarantees you a certain service level, 
And if you think about network service, right, we always used to be able to pay for a committed information rate of whatever. And you might be able to pay extra for bursts, right? But at least if you paid for a CIR, you were guaranteed to get that no matter what. And there's no equivalent to that in any of Microsoft's APIs now. You get what you get. So if paying means that I can predict more accurately how long a migration is going to take or how long a backup is going to take, there are absolutely customers who will spend the money to do that. What I'm afraid of, though, is that we're going to get these APIs where we have to pay, and we also don't get predictable performance, which would not be awesome. Yeah, it's kind of like first class, second class sort of enterprise citizens that, you know, um, it's like you pay spring for the business class ticket on a flight and then you end up. Right. <laughs> um, you know, but I understand that. I mean, if if there was some way to predict, to guarantee a certain minimum, uh, I'm not sure how they would do that because there'd be so many factors involved. And then what happens if everyone just ends up buying that right. service, right? Then, right. It, you know, because they might, because they're like, you know, backup's important to me. Um, so I need, I'm going to pay for this service. So that becomes an issue. So is there is there maybe a different API or, I don't know. Well, in, in, in theory, if everybody bought the premium service, they would, in theory, Microsoft would be able to buy more resources and expand the service and expand the capacity. I think that's the, the general thinking. Um, a model I really like is there should be a free available API available for basic usage and then for, you know, the more demanding backup and recovery scenarios or, you know, higher scale. There, there could be one a, a paid version which guarantees right. you a certain level of uh, speed and capacity. Um, and there's, they're essentially doing that with the Teams export API. So you're, they're not yet preventing people from using Git Message, which is good. They're just saying, yeah, we're going to continue to throttle Git Message, and if you want less throttling, or if you want the, you know, near real time delivery that you might want for communication compliance and, uh, you know, other kinds of security sensitive workloads, then you have to pay for the API. Um, as long as they're re they keep a free API, then I think yeah. that's okay. But you know, Dino, to your point, one of the things Microsoft is going to have to do um, with Graph Data Connect, they hit on the idea of mm, let's have a bulk API, lets people take their data and put it someplace else, because there are use cases and customers who are willing to pay for that. I think there is an appetite for some more bulk focused APIs. Because if you think about migration, for example, man, tenant to tenant migration is still hot area, right? We're still seeing sustained intense activity around M&As. That, that's not going to stop, right? And I don't, I don't think it ever stops, actually, because the more people or the more tenants Microsoft gets on 365, the greater the odds that when Contozo and Fabricam get together, they're both going to be on 365, right? So that that needs never going to stop, and that's just at fundament a big bulk operation with some fix up afterwards that could be made much more efficient if I didn't have to go in and read and stream every message out of every mailbox one at a time, right? If I could just sort of forklift that data across, that would be great. And I'm sure they're working on that. You know, there, there are teams at Microsoft that work on things that we don't see exposed at the API level for a long time. So I'm hopeful, given that they know throttling is a problem for their customers, that they've got some fixes in the works. Yeah, we have seen some initiatives like, I think it's called Graph Data Connect, which is more uh, 
less of an API and a way to just transfer data out of the tenant. Um, but it's even that it's more geared towards business analytics than the migration right. backup scenario today. But um, who knows? Maybe we'll see a, a similar model uh, for those backup or migration scenarios that don't rely on like individual API calls. What, what I'm going to bet is whatever API Microsoft gives us, it will involve taking the data and putting it in Azure somewhere. Really? <laughs> what? Yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> and for you know, for keep it. I don't love that because one of the advantages we offer is we don't have any dependencies on Azure. We have our own set of data centers. You know, we, we have our own vertically integrated stack so that we can do predictable pricing and so on. So just a Microsoft API lets me forklift data from where it is in 365 to a blob in Azure. Uh, doesn't solve the kinds of problems I have, but I think for a lot of customers, they would welcome that if it would give them the predictable performance that they need to know how long a migration will take, for example. Definitely. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll wrap it up with that. Um, and a, a good practice is people just keep uh, keep an eye on Message Center mm. and and um, uh, just the latest and greatest in the space because it is it is moving quickly. I think Microsoft is trying to address some of these challenges, and and the vendors are too. So uh, the backup migration vendors and definitely bulk bulk scale vendors. So uh, that was super useful. Uh, great uh, great twenty minute uh, dive into this topic and lots of great information. So really appreciate you coming on, Paul. That was uh, that was fantastic. No, I very much appreciate you guys having me. This was fun. I didn't even get to be snarky about the metaverse like Steve and I usually do on Practical Three Sixty Five. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye -bye. Thanks, gents.